Welcome to Baby Boomer Tales. My name is Jim. You can find us at babyboomertales.com. Once you've arrived, there are links to places you can listen to our podcast. There's also a link now to our Boomers General Store, or you can go directly there by babyboomertales.com slash shop. Once you've arrived there, you can purchase things like a souvenir Baby Boomer Tales coffee mug. We're just brand new, so we're adding new items on a daily basis. So it's pretty small right now, but it is growing. We encourage you to stop by and see if there's anything you'd like to give to your grandbabies or something. It's amazing. I'm sitting here looking out my window in my office, and there are thousands of blackbirds. I believe they're starlings in my yard. Now, my yard is quite large, like I've spoken before. The part I'm looking at right here is probably about four acres, and they're just all over the place. And they all take off at one time and then land almost simultaneously at one time. And it's just amazing watching them. But what I was really the most interested in is there's a couple squirrels out on my pond. We had some cold weather in the last few days and it froze over. And those little suckers are running out there and I'm just waiting for one of them to fall through the ice because the ice is not that thick. You can tell there's spots that there's water still. I can't let the dogs out there for sure because they go running after a squirrel and then I would be rescuing a dog out of the pond. So just watching those crazy squirrels running back and forth between some trees that they like to hang out in. They're down by the pond and some willow bushes across the pond. Those birds, there's just really more and more of them, but I don't see Alfred Hitchcock anywhere, so I think I'm safe. Starlings are amazing, how they can coordinate their flight patterns and weave in and out and make all these wonderful pictures for you in the sky in rapid motion. I need to do a little housekeeping again Housekeeping. Housekeeping. Maybe I should make a segment of the episode every week called Housekeeping. It seems like I'm doing it quite a bit lately. And that's okay. I want to clear up some things that I've said. First one was episode 152, The Christmas Watch. At the end of that episode, I told the Christmas story how Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem. And I said on that that Mary and Joseph had to go to Bethlehem at Caesar's orders to pay their taxes. Well, that wasn't right. They had to pay taxes all the time. They had to go to Bethlehem for a census count. Everyone had to go to their own hometown where their ancestors were from. So correct that just a little. I don't know if anyone caught it. I didn't catch it till I was listening to it Christmas Eve. I thought, well, that's wrong. Oh, well. The next one is on the episode Snow Driver. I had a scene there that a guy from Texas at night was coming around a corner and started spinning the road and I got in a car accident with him and the judge let him off because he didn't know how to drive in the snow and I said something about he should go back to Texas or something. Well, one thing is up there in that ski area, resort area, summer and winter resorts. The great state of Texas is instrumental in that area prospering. 
there are a lot of tourists and skiers from Texas that come up there. And so I was not coming against that in any shape, form, or anything. That sucker could have been from Denver and I'd have said the same thing. I do like Texas. If I ever had to move from my place here in northeastern Kansas, I have about three places, not counting Colorado, that I moved to. One is Texas, either the country outside of Fort Worth, I really like it there, or anywhere along the Gulf Coast. Texas has so many miles of shoreline, it's unreal. And some of it is very, very beautiful. Probably most of it is. The parts I've been to are. The other places I would move, if I ever did, Western North Carolina Mountains. I read a series of books called the Mitford series, or the Father Tim series, and it's placed up there. And I think that is a beautiful part of the United States, and I would not mind living up there at all. The other place is Flagstaff, Arizona, very close to the desert and the warmth, and yet it's about 7,000 feet above sea level. Very heavily treed with pine trees, mountainous area, and I really, really, really did like it when we stayed there. So those are all in the running if old Jim and Kim had ever decided to move. I want to give you a little observation now, and I don't even know what to make of it. It's about Parmesan cheese. Right there on the packaging, this Parmesan cheese I bought at the store the other day said it's aged for over 10 years. I was very impressed. It said it right on the label, big, bold, yellowish type letters. Then I turned it over on the bottom. And there's an expiration date of March 2023. So go figure, go figure. One last piece of business here before I continue on. If we don't do sound effects ourselves, we use a service called soundbible.com. They're very good, and I need to give them a shout out and the credit for some of these sound effects we do use around here. Thank you, Soundbible. Now for the top 10 55 years ago. That is the top 10 pop songs this week in 1967. Number 10, We Ain't Got Nothing Yet, The Blues Magoos. Number 9, Kind of a Drag, The Buckinghams. Number 8, Nashville Cats, The Lovin' Spoonful. Number 7, Good Thing, Paul Revere and the Raiders. Number six, Standing in the Shadows of Love, The Four Tops. Number five, Words of Love by the Mamas and the Papas. Number four by the Seekers, Georgie Girl. Number three, Snoopy versus the Red Baron, The Royal Guardsman. Number two, Tell It Like It Is, Aaron Neville. And the number one song by the Monkees for the fifth week in a row, I'm a Believer. Love isn't only true in fairy tales. We lost Michael Nesmith in 2021. He wrote Different Drum and was very instrumental in the Monkees' success. One night I was sleeping off in dreamland. 
dreaming about chasing butterflies or playing catch or cruising a hundred miles an hour in a hot air balloon. I was in the clouds. I was in that place where reality really didn't touch me at that very instant. I was there loving and flying and floating and grooving and I could hear the bells and they persisted for a minute. As I was coming back to earth, it was the phone ringing and it's dark and I'm not really awake and who would be calling now? I looked at my clock on my bedstand and it said something like 2.30 a.m. And I stumbled and I fumbled and I reached the phone there on my bedstand and I answered it. Hello? It was my mother on the other end, very frantic, crying and yelling. And you could tell that she wasn't all there and yet she was because she was right on top of me screaming for help. Your dad is dead. Your dad is dead. A what? It woke me up immediately. I sat straight up in bed. And, Mom, what? What? Calm down, Mom. What? And all she could say and all she could yell between the sobs and between the tears and between the hysteria was, Your dad is dead. Your dad is dead. I said, I'll be right there. I put on my clothes and I realized that the adrenaline was pumping so fast. And just like before I'd go play a softball game, all of a sudden I had to pee like a racehorse. It seemed like I never stopped peeing. I've got to go. I've got to go. Hurry, 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 hurry. My wife was up trying to hold me, asking what she could do. And I said, I'll get a hold of you. I'll get a hold of you. So I was zipping up my pants and going out the door. In the middle of January, without a coat on, I got in my truck and I raced to my parents' house. By the time I got there, the ambulance was there, and my mother had calmed down a bit, and my father wasn't actually dead. He had lost a lot of blood from a bleeding ulcer that he had no idea he had. But he knew he was losing blood in his stool. And he passed out. Freaked my mother out for sure. Doc showed up right after me. They got him ready. And they said they had to take him by ambulance to Denver to the hospital. That we didn't need flight for life. That they think they had him stabilized. And away the ambulance driver and the paramedic and the doc and my mom all went. And I was standing there in an empty house, not knowing what the heck was really going on. Well, I knew I had to follow him to Denver to the hospital. So I called my wife and told her that I was going to have to go, but I've got to tie up some stuff at the store first. And I went down to the store and I worked for a couple hours getting all the paperwork and all the things that I had to take care of done. And then I went to Denver. My dad was released in a few days and given strict orders by the doctor to follow the prescriptions and the rules that he had set forth for dad to abide by. He said he was feeling well, even though he was still quite pale. And we took him home and he recovered fully and he was just fine. There was a nurse there named Maxine. Maybe she was so memorable because she had the same name as my mother. 
But I think she was memorable because she was the most compassionate person I had ever met. And she took care of my dad, and my dad actually liked her. And she was in my dad's life for the rest of his life, one way or another. Well, the years went by, and then my mother had a terrible stroke, and my dad tried to take care of her. And he ended up in the hospital again, and they determined it was a bleeding ulcer again. And he called me the day he was supposed to get out of the hospital. He was still in ICU. And he was in great spirits and laughing and joking. And then he died. Right there and then. A story I found out later as I was trying to get all of his affairs in order. And I can't really even remember how I stumbled upon this story. But the night before he passed away. There in the ICU, Maxine, that compassionate nurse, came in to check on how he was doing. In a hospital of that size, for her to even know he was there is some kind of miracle. And the story I got is that all of a sudden my dad started crying, and she held him in her arms, and she told him it'd be okay, and that God loved him, and that don't be afraid of anything. And that he's not really alone, even though my mother was not able to hardly communicate anymore because of that stroke. And that it would be okay, and that God would never let him go. Now, if you knew my dad at all, you never saw him cry. I know I never did. The only time I even saw him with tears in his eyes is when my mother had that stroke and we were waiting, not knowing she'd live or die in the hospital. But for him to just let go and let God. That lady, you know, everyone says, my dog was an angel. So and so and so and so was an angel. Sometimes I am much convinced that she was an angel sent by God to comfort my family in our times of need. Yesterday was the 29th anniversary of my dad's passing into glory. I miss him very much. Always be kind. You never know if you'll get a second chance. I'll be back next Wednesday. Peace out.